welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, my name is Micah, if we have not met, and uh, welcome to you. If you're new at Awaken, there are some cards on the table. We'd love to know that you were here. Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling one of those out, we would love to take you out for coffee or drinks and uh, get to know you a little bit more and what brings you to Awaken. Uh, if you call this home, uh, tithes and offerings, as well as those cards can go in these black boxes here and here by the star- spiral staircase, and there's one upstairs by the bar. Um, a couple of things that are happening in, in light of, uh, or in, in uh, community life at Awaken, I want to make mention of a few of them. Uh, one, community dinner is happening next week. If you do not know about community dinner, we do this the third Sunday of every month. And this is a slam dunk, tons of fun uh, event at Awaken. It's just dinner. Um, isn't there a dating service called It's Just Lunch? It's just dinner, guys. Don't worry. Um, so this is no strings attached. There, we have two locations, one in the north, uh, kind of St. Paul area, one in the south, uh, the Parkinson's. This family, lovely family right here, hosts in the south. And uh, there's a theme every week or every month and uh, five o'clock, third Sunday of the month. And it's just come and have dinner and have fun. Um, no agenda, no strings attached. So do you guys know your theme next week yet? Or do we we'll get back to us on that one? Well, I don't know. You're the host. Okay. Get back to me on that one. Okay, great. Uh, so that's next week. Uh, love to invite you to that. Um, all the information as far as details is online at awakencommunity.com. Uh, students, there is a, an event next week, Seavers Corn Maze. If you've ever been to the Seavers Corn Maze, tons of fun. Uh, all students from 10 to 18, so both groups are invited to that. It's $13, and it'll happen. It'll leave from here, 1230 next week. So if that applies, make sure you are aware of that. And then lastly, before I introduce some new friends, um, we have some ongoing prayer uh, initiatives at Awaken, some new prayer initiatives, and so we want to make note of those. Uh, there is a training coming up November the 1st. If you are interested at all, at all in uh, Prayer at Awaken uh, and, and want to come to this, this commits you to nothing. It's free. Um, it's at Woodland Hills Church in St. Paul, and we'll be going to that. And then if you have prayer requests or you want to be a part of a group of people who get those prayer requests, you can go online. There's a banner that says Prayer Feed, so you can submit requests there, or you can also sign up to get those requests and just be in prayer for people at Awaken. All right? Fair? Good deal? Okay. Um, I want to introduce Ashley, and there is a group from Awaken who is headed to Belize in a couple of weeks, and there is a a team from Thirst Ministries who is here this week, and uh, wanted to just share a little bit um, about what's happening down there and what God's up to in Belize. So would you welcome uh, Angel and Ashley? That's on, or it's plugged in. No? So, here, grab this guy. You just go ahead and chit-chat there. There we go. Okay, so I'm Ashley. This is Angel. (laughs) Um, A bunch of our other staff is over there. You can wave, guys. So they've all been visiting and working um, up in our office in Forest Lake. They're all from Belize, and they've been here since October 1st. Um, They do the work year-round. So after the teams that are there for a week or two leave, they're continuing what was started working with the pastors and working with the churches. So we're very happy to have them and thankful. And Angel's job is he's the director of Belize operations, 
So he really works with the pastors. We kind of call him the pastor to the pastors. And so he spends a lot of time following up with them, seeing how they're doing, seeing what worked and what didn't. And um, and he has actually a very unique perspective because he is also a local pastor in Belize. So he's actually one of the first that we brought a team to and worked with. So it's been fun to see how things have grown. So I'm just going to ask him some questions so he can give you his perspective. Um, but on hell. How have you been encouraged by the teams that have served in your church through Thirst Missions? Well, first of all, I've been encouraged uh, spiritually because at the time I had a church um, visit our, our church there. Um, it was amazing. I was going through a time of depression, um, like wanted to leave the ministry. I, haven't, I wasn't like I felt alone. So when this group reached there, it really lifted me up spiritually. They didn't know what was going on with me, but it was amazing on, on how God was using them. That every moment, every step of the day, every day they were just praying for me. I was just walking by, and someone would say, "Angel, I want to pray for you," and they would pray for me, and so on. And then we had a time with the with the group that um, we set aside, and they asked me my challenges and so on. And it was so encouraging, and it really lifted me up spiritually and emotionally. I think God really used them to to really um, help me out in, in ministry. And I think that where I am now is praise God for using that team to be there at the right time. Wonderful. Um, how have you seen some of the other churches? Um, how have they been affected by the teams? And what has happened after a team has left? When a team goes to Belize, it's, it's really um, encouraging for the pastors and um, for the churches. One is because um, sometimes we pastors think that we are alone, and sometimes it's hard for us, same, to reach our community. But when you guys reach there, um, it's like an open door. And, you know, we take advantage of that to go and do a follow-up home visits. You know, there are homes, there are families that haven't visited the church, but when you guys go there and do that invite you know, it gives us the privilege to go into that home, you know, and keep on with the follow-up. And also, as well, we have a pastor by the name of uh, Benito, who right after that, he started doing the same thing, doing missions. He went over um, the Mexican border to a village there and did the same thing as what he, he learned and what was offered to his church. And how can we, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, be supporting you in prayer and Thirst Missions in prayer and then all the other Belizean churches as well? Um, as pastors, I um, we really, um, as personally as a director here in Belize, is to pray for us so that um, we would go to the churches that God is calling us. And to make, uh, because we need to choose um, which U.S. church would partner with the Belize church. And then we really like that prayer so that God would make that connection. It's awesome when God makes the connection and just connect the right church with the right church, you know. So we don't know that, but we know God knows that. So personally, for Thirst Mission is to continue this mission because most of the groups that have been hosting um, groups from the U.S. has been very encouraged. You can see these churches growing. You can see this church um, brightening up, you know. So um, pray for Church Mission to, to um, have more people to sign up, to go and really make a difference in our community. And as the pastors and the churches locally, 
I will ask that you guys would just pray for them to have this eye-opening and just take the advantage and opportunity of what all you guys go and invest in time, finance, and everything. Just take that opportunity to reach the home. Sometimes there are VBS, there are things that you guys do, and then it's an, uh, it's an open opportunity that we could do follow-up and continue. So pray for the, for the churches and for the pastors to have that eye-opening. Thank you. Um, so our team of nine leaves on Wednesday at 525 in the morning. So keep us in your prayers. Um, and we're really excited to be serving in San Luis Village. And I would actually encourage all of you to talk to any of our staff where Sean or I, um, Dana Cassidy, we, um, we know what we're well, we know what we think we're going to be doing on this trip, and we'd love to share it with you. And if you have any questions about Belize, they're all very knowledgeable and be happy to share. Thanks, guys. Uh, one of my hopes and dreams when we started Awaken uh, was that there's a, there's a passage in Acts where it says that the new believers in Acts 2 were a group of people who could... Essentially, your young men would dream dreams, your old men would have visions, and that this would be a group of people who the pastors would support the hopes and dreams of God's people that are already happening and present in, in this gathering when, we, when we're together. Um, and so I hoped and prayed that things would just happen, that people would have passions for things and bubble up. And so um, I had no idea that anybody from this church would ever go to Belize. And Ashley and Sean have a passion for this place and this ministry that they're connected to, and they said, hey, what if we did this, and would we ever? And we said, yeah, absolutely. And so this trip has been uh, totally driven by them, uh, not me. And so I'm so grateful for you guys and excited for your team and for all the things that will happen. So it'll be good. Um, well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles if you have them. We don't have anything on the screen this, this morning, so there are some Bibles back here. If you need one, we're in the book of Exodus. And uh, as you're turning there, I'll just give a couple of quick updates on the retreat. Um, man, lots of great things happened, but I'll just say this one thing. And this video will be made available to, um, to all at the most inopportune moment for the one who it is uh, the subject of. Um, for many of you who know Jenna, our intern, uh, one of our interns at Awaken, I'm telling you what, guys, this was absolutely dynamite. I've been in youth ministry for a long time. This moment was like top five I've ever seen in my life. How many of you have seen Napoleon Dynamite? You remember the last scene when he does the whole choreographed dance thing? Okay, so I wrote this stupid song as a youth pastor about a bus driver I had when I was in, like, fourth grade, and it sort of took on a life of its own. Michaela, who was in my youth group, was like, you have got to play Sit Down on the Bus. And I was like, under no circumstances am I going to – you remember this song. Under no circumstances am I going to play this dumb song. I, I am a mature adult. I am a pastor. I have a sport coat, okay? I'm not going to play that song. And Jenna's like, well, what if I clog? And I was like – a deal on that one so she's like okay i will put on i will do a dance at the retreat i was like okay deal done so she did i'm not kidding you she took like a, a mixtape of all the dumbest the best 90s christian youth group music so audio adrenaline lo, give me love give me liberty disco from newsboys i mean all these and then choreographed an entire dance to it like four and a half minutes there was not i almost wet my pants and we have the whole thing on video so like, the next time we introduce her when she speaks, it'll just, like, cue music, and you guys will see this. It's dynamite. So that was a really good time. Um, one other thing, uh, just 
before we jump in, tonight we have a meeting. Uh, for those of you that are part of this community, we are negotiating a possible new space. We have a 27-page lease document in hand uh, from St. James, and so we have a meeting tonight at 6 p.m. If you are a partner at Awaken, uh, we do need to have a vote to amend the budget for this, and so if you can be here, please, please be here, 6 o'clock. If you're not a partner but you want to hear about that, uh, be there as well. All right, all, all good there? Everybody okay? Okay, so Exodus chapter 6. And um, we are, last week we talked about the four I will statements of Exodus chapter 6, where God says, I will uh, bring you out from under, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will uh, make you my own people. And I asked a couple of interesting questions about, uh, will you cry out to Yahweh in the event that it gets bad or it gets dark or you don't know where you're to turn to those moments that we have, what do you turn to and will you cry out to Yahweh? Over and over and over again in the scriptures, we find God hears the cry of the oppressed, hears the cries of his people. Uh, so will you cry out to, you have options there. Um, and then this question of, do you want it? Uh, which seems like a dumb question. Like, do you want to be redeemed? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be rescued. But I think it's a question that we have to answer because sometimes we don't. We say we do. It's like come closer, but stay away. Uh, we say we want something, but in actuality, uh, we do things to prevent that from happening because that means certain other things in our lives. And then will you let God do what God does? God is the one who finds us. God is the one who heals and restores and remakes. So this week, I'm entitling this message, Forgetting Copycats and Knowing, for reasons that will become obvious, hopefully, uh, by the time I'm done, if I've done my job. Uh, and it's a little bit of a smorgasbord from chapters like 4 to 8. We're going to just pull out a couple of different pieces, not one text, but just a few different things. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 4, we'll start there. Uh, and if you would... Um, I'll have you stand for this first part, because uh, we typically have people stand when we read the scriptures. There's a lot in this today, but I won't have you stand every time. But Exodus 4, starting in verse 18, it says this. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. He took the staff of God in his hand, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you to, the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, I, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship you. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. This is a real encourager. Pray with me if you would. God, as we open this text and this scripture and this story and our lives to you, I pray that you would be present in ways that we can see you and hear you, know you, sense you, that our eyes would be opened, our hearts would be softened, our ears would be wide to hear whatever it is that you would have for us this morning. So we pray these things in the power of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat there. I think this is an interesting passage. Um, remember Moses has just been invited by God to go back to Egypt and get the people out. And God says, like, go get my people. And he says to his uncle Jethro or his father-in-law Jethro, Hey, here's the deal. Um, will you let me go? I'm going to go back to Egypt and see if any of them are still alive because God typically invites you to go rescue people that aren't there or, or who are dead. But, um, a little bit of review here. Moses has been to the burning bush. God has revealed God's self to this average nobody shepherd and invited him to go back to Egypt and get these people out. Uh, Moses has been 
sort of called. He's heard his name. He's been given this task. And he's given all these excuses. If you know this story, he sort of says, ah, you know, I'm a little nervous about this. I'm a little nervous. I don't speak very well. My, my mouth is heavy is the, the way that it's written. Uh, and he gives all these excuses. And in the end, he says, you know what? Just send somebody else. So he's sort of given all these reasons why. And finally, God has said, no, it's you. And I need you to go. And I will be with you. And I will be your mouth, God says. And I will go with you. And he's given him very specific instructions, right? He, we just read, when you get there, see to it that you, uh, you perform all, the, all the, the wonders that I've given you the power to do. Like he shows him these tricks, like throw down your, your staff and it becomes a serpent. Put your hand in the coat, becomes leprous. I mean, that'd be a cool party trick. You're like, hey, how's it going, guys? Well, bam, what? So do that, you know, turn the water into the, the Nile into blood. Like do these things and then tell Pharaoh, here's the deal. Israel's my firstborn. I said, let him go. You wouldn't. So he gives them very specific instructions, exactly what to do. Now, imagine if you're Moses, you're like, I can't do this. I can't speak very well. I'm a little nervous. I don't want to do this. God says, no, it's you. You should go. Finally, you're convinced. Okay, I'll go. And God gives you the exact instructions as to exactly what to do when you get there. When you get there, do the snake trick. I mean, that's a good one. If he doesn't buy that, do the hand one because that's pretty cool. And if that doesn't work, do the whole blood, you know, water to blood thing. And that's got to win them all over. And then tell him this specific thing. And so if you're Moses, you know, what might you do? You, you're not very confident. You don't know that you could do this. You've been given exact instructions. You've been given a script. And so you show up. And look what Moses does in verse 1 of chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. He's given the exact instructions. He's given a script. Do the deal, the snake, the hand, the thing. And he gets there. And what does he do? He's like, eh, you know, I think I got this. I, I, you know what? I'll handle this one. I think I've got it. I, I, I got a good idea. He goes and he sort of takes matters into his own hands. And I, I, I guess I just want to maybe share this to say uh, or, or highlight just how easily we forget things. I'm a forgetful person. If I'm guessing that some of you in this room have actually been left at coffee shops waiting for me because, uh, Joan, I'm sure you have. Yeah, one Friday morning, we set up date, and she calls me. She's like, hey, where are you? And that's when I don't speak like a pastor, and I, I get, I'm, I'm terribly forgetful. I forget things all the time. But I think in general, humans, we forget things. I mean, Israel is given specific instructions as to the life of their group of people religiously to remember these dates, like have these festivals, celebrate these holidays so that you don't forget. And I want to suggest that when we read the scriptures, that certainly there are things that are theological and there are things that are being talked about that pertain to God but many times what we're reading is a, is a highlighting of just what it means to be human. And oh, how easily we forget, how easily we take things into our own hands thinking we can fix it, we can create it, we can produce it, we can grow it, we can nurture it. When not moments before we're crying out in desperation, God, I need you to fix this. I need you to show up. I need you to do something. And then God does. And moments later, we're like, ah, you know, I got this one. I'm good. Thanks, but I got this. I remember a couple of years ago, I, I did a lot of speaking as a, uh, a retreat speaker for, for junior high and senior high events, at which point I would pull out, sit down on the bus, this dumb song that I wrote. 
you know, by the end of the week, the kids were, they, they had nothing, they didn't remember anything about God or the, the stories or the worship songs, but at the, at the lunches, they were like slamming cups on the table, sit down on the bus, sit down. So it was winter every time. The counselors hated me. Like, they hated me. They're like, please do not play that song. And I'm like, guys, it's my shtick. It's kind of my deal. I kind of have to. So uh, a couple of years ago, when I was at Awaken, I got invited to Trout Lake. Been there before. And, uh, and so I go up to speak, and I, I don't think I told anybody that I was going. Like, my wife and my family knew, but Ben and Toff didn't really know, and nobody at Awaken really knew. Uh, the, the, the pastoral advisory team didn't. Like, this congregation didn't know. I didn't really ask anybody to pray for me while I was going. I was just kind of like, yeah, I got this. Done. I've, I've spoken to these things a hundred times. Pull out, sit down on the bus, a couple of funny stories, a couple of good points. The kids are like, putty in your hands. So I get up there. Friday night of the retreat, right? And who is in like the front row but this woman named Heather Fleece? If anybody knows Heather Fleece, she's like a professional youth retreat speaker. I mean, people fly her all over the world to do retreat speaking. I mean, she is hilariously funny. She's great. And she is literally like front and center right here. That's all. Have you ever been in a room where all you can see is one person? There may be like hundreds. There were, there were literally like 500 junior high kids. And all I could see was Heather Fleece in the front row. And I just froze. It was the retreat speaking gig from hell. You guys, if I had audio of this, you would be like, oh man, that is bad. I mean, I would tell a joke and it was just crickets. And then you get in your own head, right? And all you can see is Heather Fleece. And I'm, you know, I'm imagining she's sitting down there going, who is this schlep and who hired this guy? Like this guy, I, I could, you know, speak circles around this clown, you know, and I'm starting to have all these like maybe Moses did while he's standing at the burning bush. I got it. No, I, I, I've done this before. And how easily we forget. God, I need you to do something. Heal, restore, forgive, rebuild. And then moments later, weeks later, days later. Ah, huh, that's good. I got this. And I wonder if you've ever been there before, when you desperately needed God to act, save, heal. And how does this go for Moses? So he's given specific instructions. He says, he chooses not to follow them. And then let's pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 22. Here we find Moses, and he says this. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought me trouble to this, me and this people? Is this why you've sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, your name, you sent me. He's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. See the deflection here? This is no longer Moses. He's not invested in this project. He's like, these are your people. You sent me. And ever since I've been here, you haven't been doing anything. And I wonder if God's up there going, well, yeah, you noodlehead. I told you exactly what to do, and you chose not to. What did you think was going to happen? How forgetful we are. So may I be the one to remind you this morning that this is a partnership, this thing that we call faith in the Christian life, where we have said yes to faith in a God whom we believe to be bigger than, stronger than, that we not just need psychologically, but something actually, there is a relationship that is formed and we need to be in partnership with. And we have a tendency 
to stand up on our own and say, no, you know what, I can do this. Pull it up by your own bootstraps and do whatever it is that you do. And then we get to that point where it's like, this is not going well. Oh, God, why did you? And then we begin to question. And so I guess I would just bring it back to the story. Forgetful people who need to be reminded. A copycats, chapter 7, verses, starting in verse 8, says this. So this is the beginning of the plagues. Moses, he goes back to Pharaoh, and he, he actually begins to do the things that he's told to do. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a, a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Learn from their lessons. And Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians, and they also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake, which had to be an interesting party to be at, right? You got people just throwing staffs down, and there's snakes running around everywhere. I'll take another old-fashioned, please. <laughs> but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Now, look at verse 19 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials. He struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. There was blood everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. The Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. And instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. And then chapter 8, verse 5. This is the second plague. And then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand over or with your staff over the streams and the canals and the ponds and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land in Egypt. Now, if you're paying attention, a couple of questions should be coming to your mind at this point. Like, if I'm the pharaoh, and these are my, like, soothsayers, these are my, like, magicians or whatever, what's your question to them? Why can't you make the frogs go away? We don't need more frogs. It's like, you like, the, 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 the throw down the snake, and they're like, oh, we can do that. Bam, becomes a snake. Water to blood? Yeah, in case we don't have enough blood, we can do that too. So they have more blood. And then the frogs come up and the soothsayers, the, the, the magicians are like, oh, Pharaoh, we got this. More frogs. And if I'm Pharaoh, I'm like, hey, we don't need more frogs, B. Like, we got plenty of them. And, and, and I don't know how you guys make sense of, like, evil or the idea of Satan or the enemy of God in the scriptures. But what's clear in this story is that Egypt represents everything that stands against God. Everything that Yahweh is, Egypt is the opposite. It's the antithesis of it. This place also known as the narrow place. And what's interesting is that they can only copy or mimic the power of God that's on display. They can't do anything more. They can't generate anything. But can only copy or mimic the power of God that's already on display. And even in the first one, it says that Aaron's snake swallowed up theirs. 
It's as if that it's as if whatever power they do have, they've checked it out from the librarian, and like that due date's coming soon. You know, like it, it's as if whatever power that they have, it's on a leash, and it can only go so far. Cassidy just uh, dog sat. We have a dog now, River, and watched our dog yesterday uh, while we were at the retreat. And I, I warned her, I'm like, when you take River for a walk, like the gentle leader, you got to use the gentle leader. Any dog owners out there? Yeah, the gentle leader. I was not a, I was not a believer. My wife's like, you got to get the gentle leader. I'm like, that thing's like $30 for a little bit of tether cord and a couple of carabiners. It's like, you got to get it. I'm a believer. I am a believer. I'm an evangelist. Get yourself the gentle leader, okay? If you do not have the gentle leader, this dog takes you for a walk. I mean, she's a small little thing, but she's got a lot of spunk. She gets that from her mom my wife. Um, we, you know, we're, we've already moved to that, like where I'm dad and she's mom uh, of the dog. That's so weird. But if you put the gentle leader on this little river dog, I tell you what, like she snaps into shape real quickly because it's this thing that like goes around their beak and, it, and, and you got them like right there. And like you, I mean, it, you are in control of this little animal, this canine. And it's as if the power... <laughs> See what I'm doing here? I'm connecting my dog to the Pharaoh. Yeah. Whatever power is at, at, at play in this story, it can only go so far. And so I don't know where you've come from this morning or what you walk in here with. Maybe you've been beat up or beat down by life or whatever. However you understand the enemy of God at work in the world. And I would just remind you and say that Paul in the New Testament says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so whatever it is that you have been beat down by, and maybe it's come in the form of sickness, maybe it's come in the form of a coworker, maybe it's come in the form of your mother-in-law. Bam. Whatever form it takes, can I encourage you and remind you that death has been put in its grave. I love that line. That we have taken death and put it in its own grave because of the work of Jesus and because of the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, this is all a bunch of baloney. And I am a halfway decent communicator that makes people laugh. And that's it. Without resurrection, it is sunk. The whole thing, it's a house of cards. But if that happened, then we know and can take heart and take courage that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so whatever you have faced, whatever is facing you, can I just remind you this morning that it is on a leash and that in the end it does not win. Death does not win. This is not the end. Resurrection changes everything. These folks are only copycats. One last idea knowing, to know. Go back to Exodus 5.2. This is such an interesting progression. Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh says this. So Moses and Aaron go. They don't follow the script. They say, let my people go, which gave us the best youth group song ever. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Pharaoh says. The word no is yada, and I've talked about this earlier in the series. There's this great uh, scholar named Nahum Sarna, 
And when we say no, we're, we usually, we're thinking about like a cognitive exercise, like something that happens primarily in between our ears. Like I know so-and-so, or I know two plus two is four, and it's really just up here. That's a very different understanding than what is being said in the scriptures. In the biblical conception, knowledge is not essentially or even primarily rooted in the intellect or mental activity. Rather, it is more experiential and is embedded in the emotions so that it may encompass such qualities as contact, intimacy, concern, relatedness, and mutuality. So that's what it means to know. Conversely, not to know is synonymous with disassociation, indifference, alienation, and estrangement. It culminates in callous disregard for another's human humanity. So to know is far more than when we say, oh, I know so-and-so. We're talking about relationality, connectedness, intimacy. And to say, I do not know such-and-such or so-and-so says something far more than, I don't know that person. So Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord. Now skip to chapter 8, right? We're back to the frogs. The frogs, the magicians have just doubled the frogs. Thank you very little. And Pharaoh says, so the magicians, verse 7, did the same things by their secret arts. They made the frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. It takes two plagues, and Pharaoh says, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, pray to the Lord, pray to Yahweh to take the frogs away and from me and my people, and I will let your people go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. It takes two plagues for Pharaoh to say, Actually, I knew, I know that I know. Pharaoh says, I, I don't know that. I don't know Yahweh. I don't know that God. But have you ever known something where your heart knows it's true, but something in you won't let you believe it? Or there's something deep down inside of you that has this sneaky suspicion that actually it's that way and not that way. But there's something inside of you that will not let you go down that road whether it's arrogance or pride or what people might think or all of your questions or whatever, but you kind of know that you know and yet you keep going this direction. I'm probably the only one that's ever done that. And so here we find Pharaoh, two plagues in, fine, pray to your God, the one who has the power over all of this because clearly my magicians can't take away what your God puts in place. Pray to that God. To take it away. Because that God is real. And this, whatever this is, is only a copy. It's only a mimic of. And then the next verse is just stunning. Moses says to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Moses says, okay. Got a little bravado. He's like, all right, now we're talking. My frogs, what now? So he says to Pharaoh, tell you what, you name the time. You want to be free? You call it. Ball's in your court. You know that you know that you know? Okay. You name the time. And what is Pharaoh's response? Tomorrow. 
How many times have we stood in that spot where we know that we know? But we say, you know what? Let me just make sure that this thing that I think will satisfy me actually won't. Just one more time. Just one more go. Let me make sure that whatever it is that I'm investing myself in that I think will pay out actually won't. Let me, let me just pull that lever one more time. And Pharaoh says, ah, let, let's check it out tomorrow. Let's put it off for one more day. Have you ever been there before? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you came here today knowing that whatever system that is in place for you is just not answering the questions that are deepest in your heart, the longings that you have and the questions that remain, that whatever it is that you're working on, working out, it's actually not paying out. Maybe you're there. But your pride, your arrogance, your shame, your guilt, whatever it is, whatever barrier, whatever hurdle is in the way, won't let you believe. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And I think it's a very interesting interaction between these two people that sheds a brilliant light on you and on me and on us. Because when we know, when we know that we know that it's that way and not that way, and we talked about this last week, do you want to be healed? Somehow within you, there has to be a capacity to be redeemed, to be healed, to be restored. Because God will not force God's self. That is just not the way God works. I just do not believe that that's true about God. And so God waits and says, here I am, Hineni. We say it to God, but I think God says it to us. Here I am, waiting for you. Don't say tomorrow. Don't wait. Not because you might leave here today and get hit by a car. That's the dumbest illustration ever. And it's manipulation and it's guilt-based and it's not what I want to do. But don't. If you know that you know, tomorrow is not the right answer. So we have forgetting how easily we forget the places that we've been when we cry out to God in desperate places and then moments later, I, I got it. I think I, I, I think I can handle this. That's not the way it works. It's a partnership. It is a friendship. and it is, it is a union that takes place when we say yes in faith. Don't opt out. And whatever power is at work in the world, it is, it, is, it is on loan. And in the end, death does not win. That's the story of the gospel. And we have, what does it mean to know? So, sometimes in preaching class, they say, you should have like this really great story to like wrap everything up. And <clears throat> I would fail because that's all I've got. So a few thoughts for your consideration this morning. Pray with me if you would. And we'll sing one song as we close. God, if you're out there, which I believe that you are, that's a game changer. And so we come and we gather in this place with the conviction and the belief 
that this is not just a story about a bunch of people who needed to be freed, but that this is a story about the God who animates all life, that is in all that is alive, all that is good and all that is beautiful. And so we say yes to you in whatever way that we can. Maybe this morning that's just one small step towards I'm open. I'm open to considering or maybe the answer is no longer tomorrow but it's today for me. And so God, wherever you find us, it's my prayer that you would invite us, that we would hear the sound of your voice and the invitation of your heart to be reconciled, to be remade, to be restored, to be made whole. And whatever ways that we're pursuing, whatever roads that we're going down that in the end do not lead to life, that we would see them for what they are, that you would pull the scales off of our eyes and we would see you, Jesus, for who you are. The direct manifestation of God incarnate. That when we need to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus. When we need to know what God sounds like, we hear his voice. When we need to know what you are like and what your heart beats for, that we see Jesus. And so God, make us into a people that look more and more like Jesus. Step by step, I pray. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.